Hi, welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Lauren Ahmed. Lauren is the podcast host of Adulting is Easy. She's a real estate investor. We talk about short-term rentals, how to break into the market, and what life's like as an Airbnb host. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Lauren, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, so I wanted to get you on because I found you on Twitter. It's at Adulting is Easy. And I noticed that you're really into real estate. And I thought we could just start with an introduction on how you got started with the real estate business. Yeah, so I started in real estate in general when I bought my first house, which was in 2012. I had just turned 23 years old. And after a couple of years, I kind of realized I had some pretty good equity there. And I started to think about, you know, how much equity and how much net worth could I grow if I actually tried? It didn't just happen by accident. So a few years later, when I was 27, I bought a new primary residence and rented the first one out. And so that's how I started. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people, the way that they jump into the market is they keep their old home when they buy a new home and rent the previous home. Yeah, it's very beneficial in the States, especially. I don't know about everywhere else, but you can put less down if it's your primary residence as low as 3.5%. And the interest rate is about a point lower if you're going to live there. And then when you move out, you get to keep those terms that you had from when you lived there and when it was your primary residence. So that's why it's a really good move to do that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. In Canada, we also have benefits, but obviously a little bit different, which is interesting that you bring that up because I wanted to talk to you about where you're at now and short-term rentals, long-term rentals. And one of the things, initially I wanted to talk to you about kind of financial terms and those sort of things. What I've realized is they're different all over the world. So maybe we can just talk about some of the best ways to maintain and run those types of rentals. So what do you have now and what do you see moving forward for short-term, long-term rentals? So from there, once I had the second primary, I sold that first one to buy a long-term duplex. And so going into 2020, so we had a long-term duplex that was, you know, two sides, long-term tenants in our primary residence. We started looking for a new home with rental property on it, right? So house hacking part of the house where we could rent part of it out and live in part of it. And we sort of stumbled into short-term rentals because we bought a single family home that was actually a bed and breakfast at the time with two little cottages in the back. And they were so small that we didn't really feel like people would get the most out of it as long-term rentals. One's 200 square feet, one's about 500 square feet. And we bought in a very tourist town near my home of St. Petersburg, Florida. And so that's how we kind of got started in short-term rentals. We really just wanted kind of like a buy one, get one free, buy a primary, get a rental for free by, by having some rental opportunity on our home property. And so we got started with that in 2021 was when we listed. We bought in 2020 and did a six-month renovation. And then in 2021, we started with short-term rentals. One thing led to another, and here we are, it's you know 2022, and we have eight short-term rentals. Now, that does include this house that I'm sitting in right now, because when we travel to other properties or we go on vacation, we rent this out, and it includes a camper as well. So we have eight short-term rentals and four long-term rentals. And if you want, Joe, I can talk about how many properties that is, but that's kind of how many like doors we have. 
first question I have is what exactly are we talking about with short-term rentals? Is that like one week rentals, one month? Yeah, people like me who aren't in real estate, what does short-term kind of stand for? There's true definition. There's like legal definitions and things like that for, you know, like local rules and laws and things like that. But at least how I think of it as it's a place that is rented out to more than like three different people in a year and doesn't have a lease on it. And it's going to be shorter than a month. In our case, we have for the most part, three-day minimums on our properties. This one is six nights. We have one that's five and then we do two for the camper, but the rest are all three night minimums. Yeah. And do you typically use something like Airbnb for that, for somebody to help you move along the process? Yeah, we have three ways that we rent to people. One is our own website. Another is of course, Airbnb. And the last one would be VRBO. Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, where I live in Canada, it may surprise you to know that it does get up plus 30 degrees Celsius and there's a beach nearby. So for us, it's kind of like seasonal rentals could be a thing, even one week or two weeks per rental. And something that I noticed that you've mentioned, actually listened to one of your podcasts today, was that sometimes when you look for a short-term rental, you have to make sure that it can also be a long-term rental if it doesn't work out. What do you look for in a structure or building to have potential for both? Yeah, so the numbers need to work as a long-term rental. And whenever evaluating a long-term rental, you typically look for cap rate, which is a percent. And, you know, some places you can get a 10 cap, right? Here in Florida, you're lucky to get a five cap. And what that means is your net operating income divided by the purchase price or the value of the property is over 5%, right? Some places, you know, it used to be 10%. If you're a fan of bigger pockets, Brandon Turner, his number used to be like 12 that he'd be looking for. So here in Florida, I'm I'm happy with a 5% cap rate, which is kind of like a substitute for the word return, right? Your return on your money. But there's other benefits, right? There's appreciation and loan pay down and tax benefits and things like that. So you're actually making more than 5%. But at a 5% cap rate, I know the property is definitely going to pay for itself and cash flow a little bit. And your net operating income, just as an FYI, it's like your rents minus your expenses, but it doesn't include your mortgage. So cash flow is a little different because cash flow would take the mortgage into account. But I want to make sure that any building that I'm buying can work as a long-term rental in case A, I get tired of short-term rentals and I want to switch to long-term. Or if there are policy changes, law changes that require me to switch from short-term to long-term. So I want to make sure that it works that way. Yeah, and because sometimes in different areas, they can throw new zoning rules at you and then you wouldn't be able to short-term rent. Is that what you're kind of hinting at there? Well, yeah, and here in Florida, there's a lot of instances where it hasn't been ruled on or it's not being enforced for whatever reason. That's one of the reasons we bought a bed and breakfast was we have lodging zoning here where I'm sitting right now. We also have bought in other areas where we are following the law of what uh, the minimums are and, and things like that. So we're operating legally. We have business licenses and things like that, you know, through the state. So we should be in pretty good shape, but still just in case. And and also if anybody's going to buy, like for example, one of our buildings is a six unit apartment building. Maybe somebody's going to buy that as a long-term rental. And so we want to make sure that when we're selling the numbers also work as a long-term rental, right? Or if we had to sell for whatever reason. So that's why we have to buy it on the long-term rental numbers. And then just, you know, that way we can sell it that way. And, you know, worst case scenario isn't we're losing money every month. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I've never really thought about a duplex or a quadplex or sixplex, I guess, like you have as Airbnb potential. But I guess that's a good way to do it. If you can get a solid property manager, what what does that look like for you? Is it kind of hands off or do you guys have a lot of time spent over there? 
Yeah, we have those three things. We have two, a two unit, a four unit, and a six unit. And we have no property manager. So we do that all ourselves. And we also have full-time jobs. So we've actually automated a lot of the short-term rental down to, you know, the communications are all automated. The guests can put in their security deposit. They're notified to do that. They're no, they can e-sign a renter's agreement. They get their welcome information, their checkout information, uh, ask for feedback and reviews. All of that happens automatically. The door locks set themselves and they set 30 minutes before the guests get there and the reset 30 minutes after they check out. And so everything is kind of, and the pricing also is automatic. So everything is kind of going on in the background. There's just certain things here or there that people will ask about, or they'll say, Hey, the shower rod fell down. We're not using that bathroom. So it's not a big deal. And I have to respond, you know, okay, no problem. We'll fix that after you check out. Just things like that. There are some kind of one-off communication things here or there. Naturally, there are like little repairs and things that happen here and there that my husband does in our property. That's like North further North. My uncle lives in that County and he's a handyman. That's like what he's done in my whole life. He's been a handyman. So he takes care of some of that stuff. So we handle the communications and everything ourselves. We do outsource the bookkeeping, the month-to-month bookkeeping for, you know, running those books and submitting our tourism taxes. So an Airbnb, you know, when you see, when you book an Airbnb, it's like, okay, here's your taxes. Airbnb sends those to the state or to the county. In the case of VRBO, or if we book through our website, we have to collect and remit those. So we do outsource that and we don't do the cleaning. We don't do our own landscaping either or, or the laundry or anything. So there's some things that we outsource, but we are definitely solidly manage everything ourselves, including for the long-term rentals as well. So I know that you're rated a super host on Airbnb. And from what I understand, that's a pretty good accomplishment in the industry. And I guess what I wanted to ask that in mind is how can somebody set themselves up for success if they were going to start a short-term rental? Yeah, well, it has to be clean. That's number one. The cleaner is the most important thing. There's a lot of cleans. They're also very particular cleans. They're going to be within a certain time window, usually, right? Our guests check out 11. The next one comes at four. So it's a very specific time frame when these things have to be done. There's laundry involved. They also need to be looking out for other things like, are there light bulbs out, right? Are there stains on the bed? You know, how do the curtains look inside the microwave, inside the oven, inside the fridge, right? So they need to be able to look at the property through the eyes of a guest and also the eyes of an owner. Is there anything that's missing that was here last time? Is there anything that's here now that wasn't there before that somebody left? Um, so the cleaner is the most important part that, and you absolutely need, to, everything needs to be clean. The linens need to be, you know, new and nice. I like white linens because they can be bleached and they also, you know, give this vibe of everything's very clean from my perspective. And you need to be, you kind of need to anticipate needs, right? So what would I want if I was staying here? The communication is probably the second most important thing. They need to know how to drive there. They need to know what to do if they're going to fly there. They need to know where they're going to park. They need to know what the code is, how to get in, when check-in time is. They need to know how to work a TV, how to work a thermostat, what the Wi-Fi password is. And so we have QR codes for thermostats and TVs. We have the Wi-Fi hosted very prominently. They really need to be very comfortable with where they're going and how to work everything once they're there. And we also have our website so they can look at like blogs and things for recommendations of, you know, things to do in the area as well. So if you kind of get all of those things in place, if everything's clean and the communication is really good and they aren't confused and and things like that, they have enough toilet paper, you know, things like that. It sounds kind of basic, but that's really how you keep those ratings up. 
Yeah, I think really what they're after is just a comfortable stay most of the time. And certainly something that's clean and convenient would do the trick. One thing I kind of wondered with short-term rentals would be, have you looked into anything with like bedrooms? Like, can you get more money for more bedrooms? And does that bring in the risk of, you know, larger groups of people that you may not want? Whereas if you had say one bedroom, you get less money, but you're only probably going to get couples, especially in an area like where you live in Tampa Bay area. Yeah, it's very location specific. There are many hosts who swear by the four and five bedroom units. You know, a friend of mine swears by them. But you kind of have to look at air DNA and other things like that to kind of see which units are kind of projected to make the most revenue in each area. That said, we bought this place and had two small cottages, right? That's just what we had. It's the house that we liked. We like the location and everything like that. But we do like it for the reason that it is basically just couples. And we feel like our risk of like parties and people being loud and things like that. Like we live here. We're here a lot of the time. So I don't want people throwing a party in the backyard. My neighbors don't want people throwing a party in the backyard. City Hall's next door. They don't want people throwing a party in my backyard, right? So we do like having the smaller units. Everything that we have, all eight, the most that we have are two bedrooms. And they're all like for the most part, like I said, 200 to 700 square feet we have one unit and we only rent the downstairs here which so that's like 700 square feet or so we do have one unit that's like 1600 square feet it's two bedrooms but it's pretty big it's a big two bedroom and that's the only one we've ever had a party be thrown in so from a revenue perspective we may not be maximizing it because we don't have the largest units but we're comfortable with how long it takes to turn those over and keeping those clean and maintained and you know stocked and things like that it's it's a little bit of a hedge against problematic guests to have smaller places for sure. Yeah, that's sort of something that I thought of when just preparing for this interview that I'd never really thought of before was I wonder if I could get a smaller place that's kind of entice couples to go there. And maybe there's a way that you can somehow integrate your passion into that rental as well. Like for me, I'm like a big coffee guy, I like music. I could set up a thing, you know, have a record player and some kind of espresso machine or something like that. If you guys thought any about that, about kind of the vibe of the rental as well. Our vibe is very neutral. It's honestly kind of boring, but we also did the cliche thing where we named each of our units and kind of decorated that way. So we have Acorn Cottage, which is very small. So that's one of the reasons it's named Acorn. The other reason is there's an oak tree that drops acorns on it. So that's Acorn Cottage. There's like acorns decorated in there. Like there's acorn stuff on the wall or whatever. I had my cousin come in and paint like an oak tree, like mural on the wall. So it's, you know, it's kind of acorn tree themed. We have another one who's Palm Cottage. So there's going to be palm stuff in there. We have the six unit. We have three short-term rentals there, and they're all bird-themed. So there's a lot of, you know, birds, but also kind of beachy stuff. You know, it's Florida. A lot of people are coming down from up north, and they want to feel that beachy Florida tropical vibe, and, and we try to lean into that quite a bit with our rentals. But we're also kind of budget-friendly rentals. Our places are nice, but we have so much density, right? Like, I have four units here. So I have one mortgage payment, but four short-term rentals, right? In Cedar Key, I'm sorry, a, a little bit north, I have a six unit apartment building, right? So there's, you know, one route, but I can get six rentals under it, right? So because of that and their sizes, we can be relatively budget friendly, not the most, not the cheapest, but not the most expensive either. And our decor kind of reflects that as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. And that's something that you and I talked about just over messenger or emails was the ability to have all these rentals under one roof. And then that way, so say you're creating an emergency fund or whatever, you only need to allocate enough to repair one bigger roof rather than four smaller roofs. 
So I don't know, is there anything you'd like to speak to in that regard? With Yeah, some of it is we have three properties, 12 units, we have three properties. So this weekend, we're going to go visit one of our properties. We can check on six units at one time, which is pretty cool, right? There's also a supplies. So even if we wanted to have all six of those short-term rentals, again, three are long-term and three are short-term. We have a shed there with all where we can put all of the supplies. So there's one place where all of the supplies need to be stocked and counted and kept track of and stored, right? So there's a lot of benefits that we have found to not spreading that out. We also can like have one or two properties that are closer together. We can have one landscaper. We can have one cleaner. We can have, you know, one exterminator. So there's a lot of ways that you can scale with that. We probably would have tried to hunker down a little more in this particular area rather than going two and a half hours north with that six unit. But my uncle's there. So I feel like we have boots on the ground. I can see my, he lives with my grandma. I can see my grandma who turns 90 this year. Like I'll see her again this weekend. I've been seeing her very regularly. And it was just a much better deal. I mean, it's hard to find deals in the Tampa Bay area, especially right now. Yeah, we're in a similar boat up here in Canada. It's crazy what's going on with real estate and you know, depending on the rate environment that we get into moving forward, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but definitely it feels like real estate is sort of a later goal for people. Like you have to establish a lot of things first. You have to have the right amount of capital. You have to have the right credit. You have to have the know-how and you have to be able to purchase those properties. What would you suggest for people who are looking to learn? Where can they network and, and find out stuff to help them move forward in their process if they, if they think they're getting ready? Yeah, I learned the most through bigger pockets. I listened to a ton of their podcasts. I was actually recently on their real estate rookies podcast, which was kind of cool. But they have podcasts where you can learn things and, and you can do anything from podcasts about tax liens. You can listen to them about single families. You can listen about multifamilies, wholesaling, all these different ways that you can get into real estate that you might not know about. And slowly you kind of figure out what you want to do. What do you want to make your niche? They also have a ton of books. I've read, I think, five of their books, and they have a short-term rentals one out that I heard about recently that I'm going to be reading soon. So, you know, Bigger Pockets is a great, great resource. I owe them a lot. I also, you know, on Twitter, there's plenty of people who know a ton about real estate. I'm very close with some of them, and I run ideas by them. Also, one of the ways I met someone who basically mentors me now is through an Airbnb swap. Like we went on a Facebook group and she came here for a week and then I went there for a week and, you know, she helped me with a lot of my processes and I run ideas by her. So a lot of it is networking and a lot of it is like podcasts, books, blogs, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Just something that I thought of. I know in in my area, you could have the potential of renting out a paddleboard, say, or, you know, coming to some kind of an agreement with somebody who rents jet skis to be like, hey, give my renters a deal. Is there anything in your network where people talk about that kind of networking and, and does that help you get more guests or is it just something that you maybe don't need to bother with in your opinion? We've certainly considered it, not renting stuff ourselves. We don't offer much. We kind of are bare minimum. We don't even have grills right now or barbecues, some people call them, because I don't know how to get the cleaners to make sure that that's clean every single time or that it's stocked with charcoal or propane or how should they get rid of the coals. There's a lot to it that I don't know how to make that happen stay after stay after stay. And I'm always thinking about that. If I do something right now, can I do it forever? Am I going to offer bikes? Can I guarantee that the chains are going to be on the bikes, that the bikes are going to be maintained, that they're going to not walk away, right? Or the liability associated with bikes or or kayaks. So we don't provide people with those things. People do ask, you know, where can we rent bikes? And I have places where I just tell them to go. I haven't cut any deals that way. We did uh, today. I joined the chamber here. 
So, you know, we're going to pay our monthly fee to be part of the chamber to get some marketing that way. And so we can always kind of start referring people to others within the chamber, assuming they will do that back with us and and things like that. The only thing that we offer directly for people is we have a driver who drives us like on date nights or to and from the airport or things like that. So we have a driver that will pick people up and drop people off at the airport from here if they don't want to have a car. So we do offer that, but we don't get like a cut of that or anything. It's just a way for them to guarantee that they can have a ride and it's a fixed price and they don't have to worry about, you know, surge pricing or anything like that. I've heard of people offering babysitting services. So I was just talking with someone on my podcast who her cleaners will babysit people's kids if they want to go out and like have like a night on the town, right? So you can kind of forge these deals and these relationships and things like that. We just haven't done it yet. We've only been at this for like 15 months and we've gotten eight of them going. So we're just now like like today, I literally joined the chamber today. So we're kind of just now circling back to this property and getting some of those relationships in place. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it sounds like you guys are killing it. You're doing great. We're doing it. Um, I mean, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's And that's one of the things is like, you, you sort of just have to jump in there and, and go for it. Yeah. I know that, and then go again and then go again. and then <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You just keep trying it out and figuring it out as you go. I know myself included, a lot of people are generally worried about A, the capital it takes to work through a deal like this and B, how much time it's going to take to monitor these buildings. I don't know if there's a good way to answer this question, but how many hours do you think per week, per unit? Yeah, it's a good question. I spend about, on Mondays, I spend a little bit longer. I spend 30 minutes probably looking at the calendar for the week, checking with the cleaner. Because again, when I, when I get a booking, she knows, you know what I mean? And she actually hired people near my other units and manages them. So I actually have one cleaner who manages everybody that cleans my places. And so when I get a booking, she knows about it. But I, you know, I, I check in with her. I pay her for the previous week. I pay weekly. So I, you know, I look at those invoices. I check the calendar. I pay her. I look to see all the guests coming in the next three to five days. Do they have their renters agreement in? Do they have their security deposit in? Are they on track to get their messaging in like they're supposed to? I'll make any changes to listings. Like a couple of people have asked recently, do we have Keurigs? Or not, we don't. We just have regular coffee pots. So I changed all the listings so it says coffee pot. Right. So, so I don't get that question anymore. So the kind of Monday is where I do some of the cleanup and things like that. And then every day I spend about 15 minutes or every other day probably just checking things. So it's really not that much. It's like 15, it's probably averages out to like 15 or 20 minutes a day for kind of the regular tasks. The rest of it is kind of here and there. Again, we've, we're still, you know, literally in 15 months, we've gotten eight of these going. So we're still settling things down. Occasionally a guest will call about something or something will break, but my husband fixes that. So he's a little bit more on call than even I am. So with the automation and things like that, we spend, you know, a couple of hours a week, probably maybe, you know, on a heavy week, four hours a week on it. And we spend for the long-term rentals, not very much time at all, basically enough time to like pay the bills. That's it. So Yeah. You know what? I have to admit that's less time than I thought. I would have thought that you would be there every day looking around in between guests. But I mean, when they're renting for a three day stay, four day stay, you're not going to be in their business for that time. And then there'll be a transitionary period where you get the next guest. So I, I can see how it actually would be probably less time consuming than what people think. 
Yeah, I don't go in between guests. I mean, my cleaner does. I'll go into a unit maybe like once or twice a month, uh, you know, and it'll just be like, maybe I'll be walking by and I'll see the cleaner and then I'll go to say hi and then I'll go in the unit. But, you know, we're getting, I, I always am tracking reviews. That's one of the things I do on Monday. I review the guests that have reviewed me or that have left recently and I respond to reviews as well. And so I'm keeping track of reviews and things like that. So our reviews are staying really good. They're staying really strong. We're not getting complaints about anything. So rather than being kind of proactive, you know, I kind of go in when I can and things like that. But this weekend we're going to our property that's two and a half hours away and there's an art festival there. So it's cool because we can like do the art festival and things like that, but also check on everything at the same time. We try to make sure that we're staying in at least one or two of the units at each property regularly and checking on everything. But yeah, it's not, it has not been that much time. And a lot of that is because of the software, the systems and the automation that we've put in place because we would not have bought that six unit building had we not had all the automation in place we do. It would not have happened. And what, what software are you using? Just curious. So we have a property management software, which is called Owner Res. And that's where the calendar is. The listings live there, the descriptions, the pictures, things like that. We use Price Labs for pricing and Price Labs integrates with Owner Res. And that takes into account your amenities, your reviews, your location, demand, seasonality, all of the above. When does the pricing for us? And that integrates with owner res. And then owner res is what integrates with Airbnb and VRBO. We have remote lock, which is owner res communicates to remote lock and remote lock communicates to our locks. <laughs> and then we have Stripe, which is where we process payments. So you, with VRBO, you have, we have to process our own payments with VRBO or our website. Airbnb processes their own payments. So we have a few different software and we have QuickBooks too. It's, it's worth every penny. That's awesome. That's that's some really good insight. And it probably took a while to figure out what's the right system. It sounds like once you get the right systems in place and you get a team that you trust, it, you don't have to check on their work. And obviously you can tell by reviews whether they're doing a good job or not. If they start getting bad reviews, house is dirty, you know that your cleaner's not up to par. So with that being said, I know that you've got also kind of a Twitter following and podcast yourself. I want to give you a chance to just talk about that if you'd like to let people know where they can find you, where they can get more information than what we're talking about here. Yeah, sure. So my podcast is called Adulting is Easy. That's also my Twitter handle. It's at Adulting is Easy. My website is realadultingiseasy.com. I have blogs there and the podcast is there as well. And the podcast is going to be kind of personal finance focused, cover a lot of different topics. Obviously, there's a good bit of real estate on there. On Twitter, every Wednesday night at nine o'clock, I go live with some friends of mine and it's called Wealth Wednesday. And those are recorded and those are on the Adulting is Easy podcast feed as well. That's great. Well, I wanted to just say thanks for coming on. I know you're all the way down in Florida and I'm up here in Canada, but this is what we can do with technology. And I think wherever you go, people are people. And I feel like a lot of this information transitions to wherever you live. So I just wanted to say thanks and we can wrap it up if there's anything you want to add. Nope. Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Nice meeting you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you too. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Thank you.